everyone and welcome to another episode of the Pre-Raphaelite podcast. It's Hannah Squire here hosting today. We have a real treat of an episode. I'm joined by two guests to talk about the recent publication of Pre-Raphaelite Sisters, Art, Poetry and Female Agency in Victorian Britain, edited by Glenda Ude and Robert Wilkes. Glenda received her doctorate from the University of York in 2022 for a thesis entitled Beyond Ophelia, the artistic legacy of Elizabeth Eleanor Rossetti, Nee Siddle. Her publications include A Cuckoo in the Wrong Nest, Elizabeth Eleanor Rossetti's figure study, Head of a Girl, in the PRS Review Special Edition, Autumn 2022, and George Price Boyce, Art Collector, in a future collection of essays examining his life and work. She has assisted Carol Jacobi with the selection of works for the Rossetti's exhibition at the Tate Gallery, which opens in April 2023 and will feature in another episode, and has an essay included in the accompanying catalogue. Robert is a postdoctoral fellow in history of art at the State University of Campinas in Brazil, where he's researching British artists who traveled to Brazil in the 19th century. He was awarded his PhD from Oxford Brookes University in 2020 for his thesis examining the art and writings of Frederick George Stevens, an overlooked original member of the PRB. He has published essays in the books Defining Pre-Raphaelite Poetics and the Ashmolean Exhibition Catalogue, Pre-Raphaelites, Drawings and Watercolours, and in the Burlington Magazine and the British Art Journal. Hello to you both. First of all, can you both tell me more about your introduction to the Paraphalites, um, your art historical background and research interests in the group? Well, my first encounter with the Paraphalites and with Lizzie Siddle, who became my obsession, was John Everett Millet's painting Ophelia, which hangs in the Tate Gallery. Um, I was writing about symbolism for one of the assignments of my master's, and I chose to explore the Victorian language of flowers and the painting Ophelia immediately sprang into my mind. So I went back to the Tate Gallery, spent several hours staring at Millet's painting and unknowingly embarked on the journey that turned out to be my doctoral thesis. And although it was the depiction of flowers that, and their correlation with Shakespeare's words that actually was the subject of my first essay, it was the red-haired model lying in the river that actually captured my imagination. Who was she? Did she really pose in the river? What other paintings did she pose for? I found the only available book in my local library was Lizzie Siddle, The Tragedy of a Pre-Raphaelite Supermodel by Lucinda Hawksley. So I got that out and discovered that that girl in the river had led an amazing life. She was discovered in a bonnet shop. She posed in a bath of water. She perhaps committed suicide and then she had her coffin exhumed at the dead of night. Was all that true? I was compelled to investigate further. And Hawksley's book led me in the bibliography to Jan Marsh's The Legend of Elizabeth Siddle. Mm. That presented me with far more questions than answers. Was Lizzie Siddle a milliner or a dressmaker? Did she really commit suicide? Or was it perhaps an accident? And why hadn't I seen any of her drawings or paintings? What did she hope to achieve with her art? Coincidentally, that initial interest was actually at the same time as the Tate Gallery's blockbuster, Pre-Raphaelite's Victoria Avant-Garde, which they showed in 2012. And that didn't disappoint. I was absolutely transfixed by Siddle's Lady Claire, a jewel-like watercolour 
which hung along with two other watercolours and a drawing in the exhibition. And I went back many times. Well, and as for me, uh, I basically discovered the Pre-Raphaelites when I was a teenager uh, still, um, and I discovered them just through my own curiosity, really, um, and quickly became fascinated by them. Um, and by the time I went to Oxford Brookes University in 2009 to study history of art and English, I knew that I wanted to make them the focus of my research. Uh, and I wrote my, my undergraduate dissertation on Lewis Carroll and his connections with the Pre-Raphaelites, both in art and in literature. Uh, and then when I was at York, the University of York, uh, for my MA, uh, I wrote my dissertation on Dante Gabriel Rossetti's watercolours. Um, so the Pre-Raphaelites have been the focus of my interest for a long time now. Um, and as Hannah mentioned, I wrote my PhD thesis on uh, another figure in the Pre-Raphaelite circle. Um, for my postdoctoral research at the moment, um, I'm examining quite a different topic, um, that's British artists who travel to Brazil. Um, so still within the, the broad category of 19th century British art, but um, it's a very different kind of subject. Um, as you can imagine, being in another country. Yeah, thank you so much both. It's fascinating to hear. Um, I always love to hear people's background, how they came to know the Pre-Raphaelites and where their research interests have led them to. Um, so leading on from that, so where did the idea from this book come from? And I know there's obviously a conference as well beforehand, both of which I was so, so excited, happy to be a part of. Uh, well, the book uh, essentially was the product of a conference that was held at the University of York in December 2019, uh, which was itself related to an exhibition at the National Portrait Gallery in London at the same time. Um, and actually, uh, Glenda uh, can tell, tell us a bit more about that, uh, about the exhibition uh, side of things. Yes, the, the exhibition ran from October 2019 to into January 2020, and it was concerned with 12 women who were closely associated with the pre-Raphaelite movement and actually central to existence to its existence. Those women were Elizabeth Siddle, Christina Rossetti, Effie Gray Millet, Annie Miller, Fanny Cornforth, Joanna Boyce Wells, Fanny Eaton, Jane Morris, Georgiana Byrne Jones, Maria Zambarco and Marie Spartali Stillman and Evelyn de Morgan. And this exhibition aimed to show how integral these women were to the movement in whatever roles they actually occupied. There were models, muses, sisters, wives, lovers, artists, poets, designers, embroiderers. They had such a wide variety of roles that quite often have just been disregarded. The exhibition included works of them and by them as well as some per personal effects, which I particularly found interesting. There was a lock of Elizabeth Siddle's hair, Joanna Wells, Boyce Wells's paint box, an evening bag embroidered by Jane Morris, Morris sorry, photographs of them, and they give a more rounded, immersive experience of what these women were and how important they were to pre-Raphaelitism. There was some criticism that not enough works were included by the female artists, but we have to remember that it was a National Portrait Gallery exhibition 
and the emphasis was therefore on the portraits and figure painting. But it did show the interaction between the male and female members of the circle. And there was some confusion, I seem to remember, at the time uh, by the press um, who were reviewing the show, who were somewhat uh, confused by it. I think they were expecting a show that was devoted solely to artists. And so they were um, puzzled as to why figures like Effie Gray and Fanny Cornforth were included, who were uh, not necessarily artists, uh, but were the spouses or and or the models of the artists. So um, there was some confusion around the show as to this kind of mixed variety of roles that the women inhabited, um, which of course is something that we uh, demonstrate in the book about this multiplicity of, of roles that they had. Wonderful. And what was it about focusing on these female artists associated with the movement um, for the book that was so important to you both? For me, it was a quotation from Liz Prep-John's The Art of the Pre-Raphaelites. It just kept ringing in my ears. Mm. Liz said, it is not sufficient merely to add some women to the pre-Raphaelite canon. Instead, it is a matter of writing a wholly new and different story about pre-Raphaelitism, a story in which the activities of women are no longer incidental, but necessary to the plot. And that, in a nutshell, is the reason that I became so passionate about the women of the pre-Raphaelite movement. Art history needs to be rewritten and this new story needs to be told. And in relation to the, the, the conference and the, the book that followed, um, I think there was also a feeling at the time, given the exhibition at the MPG, uh, that this was an ideal moment to organise an event that would showcase uh, the range of new research that was being done about these women and their lives. Um, and as I've just mentioned, not just artists, but also their roles as models, as dressmakers, architects and writers. So a variety of professions, not just uh, traditional painting. Um, and so like their male colleagues, so Rossetti and William Morris spring to mind, figures who were artists and writers in equal measure. Uh, the women were no different. Thank you. And can you take us behind the scenes? I think people are really interested to learn a bit more about the process of working with a publisher um, and what gaps in the scholarship this book is addressing. We were complete novices in the publishing world when we actually started. Robert and I met at the Reassessing Burne Jones conference at the Ashmolean Museum in February 2019. Um, and shortly after our actual first meeting, Jan Marsh, who was the curator of the Pre-Raphaelite Sisters exhibition, had contacted Liz Pretjohn, my PhD supervisor, to suggest that we held a conference yes. to explore the subject further. And Liz passed that proposal on to me. And because I knew Robert had helped with the reassessing Burn Jones, I contacted him and we discussed the possibility of working together. So we met in a cafe at Ashmolean Museum, and that's how Pre-Raphaelite Sisters Making Art, the conference, took shape. Yeah, and, and the conference grew out of those discussions, and it was held over two days in December 2019. So on the eve of the pandemic, uh, though we didn't know it at the time, of course, uh, to coincide with the NPG exhibition. 
Um, we managed to secure some funding from the Paul Mellon Centre in London to help with some of the costs around the conference. Um, I think we should also, uh, Glenda and I should acknowledge here the help of Marjorie Coughlin at York, um, who was a, a massive help with the, some of the admin um, and the practical side of things um, of, of the conference itself. Um, the event itself went um, very smoothly, I seem to remember. Um, the atmosphere was very friendly and informal, um, and we had two great uh, keynote speakers as well, uh, Kirsty Stonnell Walker, who talked about Fanny Cornforth, um, and Jan Marsh. Um, and actually one thing for me personally that was somewhat daunting uh, during this was that Jan at the time had lost her voice. So I volunteered uh, to read her keynote paper for her, um, which was put, somewhat put on the spot uh, for that, but uh, hopefully I did it justice. Yes, and off the back of the conference, um, we were approached by several publishers to try and submit a collection of essays based on the papers. We had, I think it was about three different publishers contacted us and we started trying to collect papers together. But just after the conference, obviously COVID hit and we didn't have a huge amount of success. In the end, we left it for a while, perhaps thinking that we would drop the subject completely. But then Liz Prepjohn said, give it one more go send out another call for papers and see what happens. Mm. Well, the second call for papers that we sent out was nearly a year from the conference and we had much more success. We had quite a lot of uh, different responses. And in the end, we chose six papers that were published, at, uh, were presented at the conference and another eight that were new papers. But we were complete novices and we had to learn as things progressed. We felt that the book would be a perfect complement to both the exhibition and the conference and a uh, an important contribution to art history. With Liz's help, we selected the papers and presented them in a workable structure to Peter Lang, our publisher. We were then requested to, to produce a formal proposal which was quite daunting to start with, but we managed it. And a few months later, we received the good news that our proposal had been accepted. So we had uh, peer reviews and we had some extremely useful comments from our reviewer. So we set about the editing process and creating the full manuscript. The process itself, I have to say, was a huge learning curve and inevitably very time consuming. We found that the publisher had several specific requirements, the typeface, a different kind of referencing style to what any of us had used before, a particular method of indicating where the images should be placed in the text, using the American IZE endings rather than the UK ISE for words such as realize. But we weren't to use the American spellings for words that had different spellings to UK, for example, colour. Even the punctuation had to be thoroughly checked according to the publisher's guidelines. We had to create something that was coherent from start to finish from all of the individual essays. And when we received the first proofs though, it was really exciting. 
But then we realised, again, the, the task of checking the proofs was enormous. Emails were flying around with Robert being in Brazil at the moment, me here, and the publisher down south. Mm. We were checking everything. We had contributors, again, from different countries in the world, so different time zones. We had to check things like the references were in the correct format. Indexing then came, that needed checking. And I had a quick check before speaking to you today. We had nearly 500 corrections to the main text and 1,600 index items. So everything needed to be checked individually to ensure that the final proofs were as perfect as we could get them. If we missed anything, we can only apologise to our contributors. We did have some tough deadlines and we would like to thank our contributors for their patience and speed in replying. Publishers, too, were very accommodating, realising that we were novices and they helped us through the process. And I think we both learned a huge amount from the process and the project, and it will help us with any future publications that we may undertake. Amazing. Thank you, Glenda. Talking of the book, could you give us a taste of the essays? So what topics and themes are discussing? Um, and also, please to tell us about your, both of your contributions to the to the book. Well, uh, I wrote the introduction to the book, so I might as well do my best to uh, encapsulate it. Our book is the first uh, edited collection of essays devoted to the women of the Pre-Raphaelite Circle. Uh, women have been occasionally included in previous collections, but not the focus of one. In my introduction to the book, uh, I wanted to acknowledge uh, the wealth of scholarship on these women that has uh, been ongoing really since the 1980s. The beginning point being Jan Marsh's book, Pre-Raphaelite Sisterhood, um, which uh, I'm sure many people are aware of. The aim of the book, as I hopefully outline in my introduction, uh, is not to claim that these women have necessarily been completely ignored and overlooked until now, uh, that we are the first to ever examine them. Um, in fact, one of the things I uh, try to make clear in the introduction um, is that there has been uh, uh, an accumulation of research, publications and exhibitions about many of these women since the 1980s. Um, so this book is not claiming to be the first book ever devoted to these women, um, but rather it's the, um, the extension of a very of a growing field of scholarship. And by now, hopefully, and um, particularly with the advent of this book and uh, other similar projects, the centrality of these women within the pre-Raphaelite circle no longer needs to be explained or questioned. Um, and it's now taken as a given fact that they were closely involved. Um, and that the initial more difficult task of rediscovering them and their lives in detail, often for the first time, uh, was done back in the 1980s and 1990s. A good example of this is Elizabeth Siddle, who I think of all the women has been a subject of particular interest. Um, and thanks to projects like your exhibition Beyond Ophelia, Hannah, um, and your thesis, Glenda, we can finally say that Siddle's artworks and poems are more familiar to audiences nowadays. Um, but that being said, um, there was uh, a feeling that um, there was still a lot of a lot of new research to be done, whereas the male artists had already many of them 
had already been uh, represented uh, by previous collections like this. Um, and so the essays themselves uh, focus uh, on a variety of, of artistic media. The, uh, the essays that focus on art um, highlight the artist's radical approaches to traditional media. So Sarah Hardy considers uh, a body of work by Evelyn de Morgan done in gold paint, um, a really fascinating example. Uh, it also makes for some very beautiful illustrations in the book. Um, I mentioned earlier about the fact that women sometimes worked equally as artists and writers. So we have Laura Nermel's chapter on Siddle, which explores this duality of art and writing. Um, we also wanted to highlight the women's works in other fields besides painting, um, which we, you could argue is the medium that has become the most closely associated with Pirapatism. So we have architecture in relation to Mary Seaton Watts, fashion um, in terms of uh, Elizabeth Siddle and Jane Morris's dressmaking skills, uh, literature, which is the subject of um, uh, Glenda's chapter, um, Rosalind White's, Nat Reeves and Charlotte Gere's chapters, um, and even spiritualism um, is discussed uh, in Kerry Gibbons's essay on Evelyn de Morgan. And we were also pleased to include an essay by Helena Cox, exploring the influence of Rossetti and Siddle on a Czech woman, Eva Schwabinska, and her husband, the, the painter Max Schwabinski, uh, which hopefully brings in a wider European perspective. Um, in Margareta S. Frederick's essay, themes of progressive politics and foreign travel are introduced, and how these uh, two elements were often interlinked. We are also pleased to include the definitive account of the life of the model Fanny Eaton, uh, written by her great-grandson, Brian Eaton, uh, which was the result of years of uh, painstaking genealogical research. So um, that gives you uh, an overview of the essays we've included in the, in the book and uh, the variety of topics and artists that they uh, discuss. A beautiful painting by Eleanor Fortescue Brickdale is on the cover. Um, and I was just wondering, how did you both come to choose this really striking cover image? That's a good question, actually. It wasn't actually our original quest, uh, choice of image. We wanted to use a black and white drawing by Elizabeth Siddle that we used for our conference um, because we felt it was already familiar uh, to people who would have known about the conference and it kind of represented us. But Barry Bullen felt a colored image would have had more impact for the cover. And he suggested the little foot page. And that was actually ideal because it's discussed in Christine Neubauer's essay, which is included in the collection. And it was also um, a very conscious choice on our part because we're very keen to have a work by a woman artist included on the cover. And this is because um, with often with books about the Pre-Raphaelites, certain kinds of paintings are often used on the covers, invariably works by Rossetti and Millet. Um, and during the conference and on social media as well, there were quite a few complaints about the NPG exhibition catalog cover, which uses uh, Rossetti's Prosopine. Um, and how this was felt uh, by many to be a missed opportunity, given that uh, many works by women were included in the exhibition. Um, so uh, 
Brickdale's painting of the little footpage seemed ideal, also because it was painted in 1905. So it's a, a very nice demonstration of how the Pre-Raphaelite style continued into the 20th century. Uh, but at the same time, it harks back to um, early Pre-Raphaelite painting of the 1850s. So there's an interesting um, duality there. And, and even actually the painting depicts uh, a woman who is undergoing a gender transformation, which is something that Kristen um, discusses in her, in her essay. Um, so uh, it was also, yeah, it was, a, it was a, a conscious choice of ours to include a, a work by a women artist on the cover. Mm. I just wanted to ask, I'm trying to remember, do you, do you know which one was the Elizabeth Siddle image that was used for the conference, the name of it? I thought people might be interested and I can't remember which one. <laughs> it's um it hasn't got a proper name it's called study of four figures or unidentified study of four figures i, I think that they say it's related to la belle dame sans merci by that was what i said um i thought it was because the female figure who's sitting on the floor with the figure with the coned hat at the back her hair is spread out in the same way that it is in two of the drawings for La Belle Dame Sans Merci. Finally, I wanted to ask you both, um, what about uh, legacy of the book? Do you have any plans for future activities or events that we can sign post people towards, as well as obviously purchasing the book online from Peter Lang? Well, we're hoping to hold an event maybe in the spring when Robert can come over from Brazil. Uh, Sarah Hardy has offered us to um, include it with the De Morgan Foundation up at Cannon Hall. We haven't decided on the format yet. Obviously, it will be too late to be a book launch because the book is already out there. Um, but we'll keep you informed. Oh, well, thank you so much, Glenda and Robert, for chatting to me today. It's a really fabulous book full of a wide range of fascinating chapters examine, examining women's central involvement in the Paraphylite movement. And it's really lovely to hear also about um, your future product projects. Robert, listening to you talk about 19th century British artists in Brazil is fascinating. I don't know anything about that, so I'd love to know more. And Glenda, I really can't wait to read um, your upcoming piece, your thesis, in the Rossetti's um, exhibition catalogue as well so I'm not just saying this also because I'm in the book but it's just a really fabulous read um, and yeah thank you both for taking the time to speak to me today thank You're you welcome. Hannah thank you for inviting us mm -hmm.